The Bible reading this morning is taken from 1 Peter 2 verses 1 to 10. Therefore rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have been tested that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thank you for the, um, for the welcome. And whoever I say thank you to, thank you for inviting me to, to, to come back. As I say, not often I get invited back to places. So it's, uh, it's, uh, it's good, to be, good to, be, to be back. So what I want to share with you this morning comes from a heart that's been convicted greatly and uh, what I share is perhaps not for me to share as I have no pastoral responsibility in this church anymore but I share it because I have felt most strongly that this is what God wants me to share with you today so before I do that let's just pray Father today I just say thank you for your word and I say thank you for these people here and I ask that today you might speak into our hearts and into our minds Father I pray for each as each has a need that today you would move up and down the rows and touch hearts and lives. For those that need your encouragement, that will be theirs. For those that need your peace, that will be theirs. For those that need the touch of your hand to bring about restoration, to bring about healing, that will be theirs. For those that need the conviction of your spirit, I say thank you, Father, that you will gently guide people to yourself. And so, Lord, today... I just say thank you for what it is that you want to sow into our lives. Thank you, Father. Amen. Now, in that reading that uh, came from uh, from Peter, uh, when Paul writes to the church at uh, the Colossian church, he brings out a similar thought as to what Peter brings out, and uh, he says this: God has brought us out of the kingdom of darkness and into His kingdom of glorious light, and that's something worth getting excited about it really is God has brought us out of the kingdom of darkness and into his kingdom of light 
The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, they're often interchangeable terms, especially in the Gospels. Uh, and we read a number of statements, uh, a number of descriptions of the, of the kingdom, uh, especially those made by, by Jesus. Um, and he uses phrases like, uh, the kingdom is like a, a man who sows seed. He's like, uh, the kingdom is like a mustard seed. It's like yeast. It's like buried treasure. It's like a fishing net. It's like a, a wedding feast. It's like a man leaving his servants with talents and a whole lot more. Just a few examples there from Matthew. Jesus went to, to some lengths to make his followers aware of what kingdom life, what it could be like and what it would be like. In John 1.12, we read this. To all who received him, to those who believed in him, he gave the right to become sons of God. And ladies, that includes you too. You need to take into context where that was where that was written and where it was said, and he was addressing a, a, a Jewish group, and a son in a in a Jewish context was the ultimate, the ultimate. The son was an heir. The son was given authority, and perhaps the classic example we see is that of the prodigal son who returns home, and his father's excited to see him, and, and he decks him out with the very best. And we see that, that he gives him a robe which is a, a sign of acceptance. He has sandals restored to him which is an acknowledgement of his position because slaves didn't wear sandals or shoes. Then he was given a ring and the ring was a, a sign of him having sonship. His sonship restored, a signet ring probably. And that was used to, to sign official documents and, and more. It was a symbol of authority. If 1 John 1.12 is true for us, and, and I trust it is, if it's true for the individual, then it must also be true for the church. But it must also be true for the kingdom of God. And in Luke 17, the Pharisees come to Jesus and they ask about the coming of the kingdom. And this is Jesus' response to them. He says this in verse seven, uh, Luke 17 and verse 20. Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say here it is or there it is because the kingdom of God is in your midst. If you were to read that out of the New King James Version, it would say the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom is within you. And what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees is that don't look for the kingdom out there and sort of try and spot it somewhere. Don't look for it out there as if it's going to come with great fanfare. Don't go for looking for the kingdom if it's not first of all in your heart. In Romans 14, Paul says this, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And that is something that dwells within. In Mark 10, Jesus says this about the kingdom of God. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. It's probably a verse we've all heard, probably a verse we don't have a lot of problem with. Well, well accepted and we understand it. But in Matthew 11, Jesus says this about the kingdom. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. And there appears to be a world of difference between those two verses. 
They seem to be opposed, but maybe they're both true. They're both correct. They're both appropriate and we need both. We need to do both, perhaps at different times. The kingdom of God not only comes to us, but it comes through us. The first verse we have no problem with. We all agree it, we need to come as a little child in simple childlike trust and faith and accept Jesus. The first we have no problem with. But what is Jesus about, on about in the second verse from Matthew? Well, there have been various schools of thought on, on that verse and, uh, and what he means. Some feel that uh, both John, John the Baptist and Jesus had, had inadvertently, not actively, just managed to gather followers who saw that here was an opportunity to create a new kingdom and it would bring political liberation and the Jews would be released from the oppression of the Roman Empire. And if it meant a bit of rough and tumble to bring it about, so be it. That was one interpretation. Another was this, that the kingdom of God suffers attacks from both within and without. We may well have, each of us, perhaps at some point in time, experienced a group of well-meaning people who were going to have church their way whether anybody else liked it or not, including God. This is the way it's going to be. At the moment the kingdom of God is experiencing violence from without and we're experiencing that in Australia today. We have in the last 12 months and I can assure you there'll be more to come. It'll be a very testing time for the church in Australia. But there's also a third definition of what Jesus might mean and I call this the Zacchaeus uh, theory. And Zacchaeus was very keen to see Jesus and he didn't let anything stand in his way even to the extent of climbing a tree interesting place to find a public servant and uh, he's going to see Jesus come hell or high water that's his intention and he did it that was his heart's desire a passionate heart's desire was on display the violent take it by force as sons of God we've been given authority and some days there's a time and a place where we should stand up and exercise some of our God given authority do we have a passion for what God desires for us? Do we hunger and thirst after, after what it is that, uh, that Jesus declared in the Sermon on the Mount? He declared, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Are we, are we desperate enough? Do we hunger and thirst for more of God and what he desires for us? Are we working out our salvation with fear and trembling? When it comes to the kingdom of God, this is not a fight to be won. It is a victory to be enforced. Jesus won the fight. He's won the battle on Calvary in the open grave. We as the army of God are to enforce the victory of Calvary. So to a very real degree, we are an occupying army, a group of people in enemy territory, declaring that the enemy is defeated. And we live in that victory along with the power and the authority that comes with that as a result of being God's sons. Now in the brochure that you received this morning, and I don't know, I might have handed that out to you before when I was here, I'm not sure. But if you've got two of them, that's fine. Give one to a friend or one to an enemy, doesn't matter. And if you didn't get one on the way in, they'll be on the table and I'll, I'll leave them there. You can take more if you want them. 
and it talks about us being special and Helen tells me that she is but she's probably told most people that. In that brochure though we see just outlined some of the things that God has done for us and, and how, how he now sees us. And this is, why he, this is what he desires for us. It's why he went to the cross to bring it about for us. What I want to say to you today is this, that I believe that God has something special for you as a church and that you along with a number of other churches that I've experienced in this last 12 months are being thwarted by maybe a number of different varying forces, situations, whatever term you, you wish to call it. And so today I want to encourage you to take what is yours in the heavenlies. Now, I don't want you to think that this is another a cheap effort at a name it and claim it exercise, which was big in the 1980s. If you want something, just name it, claim it and believe it and it's there for you. If you want a boat, just name it, claim it and believe for a boat and it's yours. The only boat I saw the Apostle Paul had sank and I don't really want one of those. But I do believe that we have a right to claim what God wants for us. And in Matthew chapter 9, we see Jesus going up and down the length and breadth of the land, meeting people. In Matthew 9, we read this, verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. That was Jesus' instruction to his followers. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Who is the Lord of the harvest? Who does the harvest belong to? It's God's harvest. It's his. And he's saying, ask me and I'll send out workers. God wants us to come before him and ask him for what it is we need to bring in the harvest. Now, you've been seeking a pastor for some time now and you've been faithfully coming before God in pursuit of that. I want to encourage you today. Don't give up. When Daniel prayed, his prayer wasn't answered for 21 days. But it was actually answered a whole lot earlier than that because when the angel of the Lord came to Daniel, he said this, your prayer was answered on, one, on day one, but sorry I've been delayed because there was a battle in the heavenlies. I want to say to you today, keep praying and keep declaring the victory of the cross and the open grave. Jesus had compassion on the crowd and he saw them like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. If we come before God and we place our need before him and say to him, Lord, we're seeking a pastor, do you think he's going to say, There's no one available. There's no one to send. Why would he say to us, Ask me to send somebody out and then say, oh, you've caught me by surprise. Somebody's actually asked. What am I going to do now? He's got people waiting to come. He's waiting for people to call. He said, ask the Lord of the harvest to send them out into his harvest field. It's God's harvest. 
We have the privilege of joining with him in the harvest. He's asking us to ask him. He wants the harvest to be brought in. This is his will. So don't give up. Because when we, become, when we come before God in a situation like this, we are declaring to him that we still believe that he has our best interests at heart. We also declare to the enemy of our soul, Satan, that we haven't given up and we refuse to be discouraged and we are still trusting God to meet our need. Can I also say this? Be alert to what it is that God may want to say to you, both as individuals and thus as the church family, because that's what the church is made up of, a whole lot of individuals. God does speak to his people. In Jeremiah 33, 3, he says, Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things. He spoke to Ananias and said, I want you to go over to Straight Street, lay your hands on a man named Saul that his sight might be restored. I would have been a bit, well, Lord, you know, Saul was the terrorist of the day. If he can't see me, he can't kill me. But Ananias was faithful. He heard from God and he did it. He, uh, He spoke to Samuel and his reply was, Speak, Lord, for your servant's listening. For a number of years when I was in full-time ministry, I'd, I'd start the year by doing two things. Firstly, we'd have a week of prayer and for seven days we'd designate, designate an hour every day, different time slot every day, some in the morning, some in the evening, some in the afternoon, for people to just come and pray and just come, to silently gather together and come and go when you needed to and then at the end we'd gather and pray corporately together. So we did that every year. The second thing I did was this. I'd get the leaders together and I'd say to them, we're going to meet together, whichever night, come, you need to bring a Bible, you need to bring a, a writing instrument and you need to bring something to write on, a Bible and a notepad, whatever you've got. And, uh, and when we'd gather together, I'd say to them, tonight we want to hear from God. We want him to speak into our lives regarding our church. We want him to affirm the things that he's been placing on our hearts as individuals. And so I'd, I'd send them off to to various different parts of the church building to be by themselves for the first hour and then bring them back together. And I'd say to them, you know, when you go, when you spend time with God, write down what it is he's saying to you. Write down the scriptures that he's leading you to. So when we bring them back together, I'd say to them, what's God been saying to you? What were the scriptures that he gave you? And one at a time, we'd share them. And I'd write them up on a big whiteboard. And often the response came, I don't know why God has led me to this verse. It seems a bit obscure. I can't really make sense of it, but I'll share it with you. This is it. And they'd share the verse. And yeah, it did seem obscure. But when we placed that verse alongside all the other verses, we started to see something come. We started to see something of where God wanted us. The picture was being painted and feeling a bit like the jigsaw as the puzzle, as the pieces went into the puzzle. We, we saw it start to open up. Just one word of warning on that. When God points you to a verse, write it down. You know, have a notebook. I, I have my, this is my second brain. I keep it in my pocket. I need it these days. I write, write things down. And, and that helps me remember. And so write it down. When you spend some time with God, write down what, he, what he's saying to you. Write down the verse that he might lead you to. Um, and then bring it back to your, to your prayer group, your small group, your prayer meeting, whatever it is, and share what you have with others. 
but do not take the attitude. People, God has spoken to me. This is the word of the Lord. Therefore, this is the way it's going to be, people. We need to be reconciled. This is the word of the Lord and you need to get reconciled to it. But rather than that, humbly place it before your fellow believers for their affirmation. Allow them to take it away and pray it through and affirm what God has said to you. Listen to what God is saying to others in the group and be encouraged by what what God is sharing with them also. It's also good to look back at what you've written. So you can keep the book. Just make it a designated book for what God's saying to you. It's also good to look back and see what God has said in the past because so often he builds on the foundation and you see it develop and you see where he's leading you. I tell you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom like a little child will never enter it. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. And that's a challenge today for us to be passionate about the kingdom, to say to God, we want up there to come down here. We want your kingdom to come. Do we have a passionate hunger today for what God wants? Are we prepared to earnestly seek it? Are we prepared to boldly declare it and by doing so we acknowledge the faithfulness of God? I trust we will. Let's pray together. Father, I want to say thank you today for all of my friends here and I say thank you for their their heart's desire to honour you. Father, I pray that today you would encourage them as they step out with you, knowing that you are indeed faithful, that you have not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Father, I commit the people of the Wangaratta Baptist Church to you. I thank you for what you have for them. I thank you that you have a person for them. I thank you, Lord, there's no perfect pastor, but there is a pastor who is perfect for them. And so, Lord, I commit them to you, to your care, to your keeping, knowing that you will supply all of their needs according to your riches in glory, knowing that you are indeed faithful. And, Father, I just say thank you for honouring their heart's cry to you. They've asked, Lord, to send out workers into the harvest field. They're looking for someone to lead them in that. And, Lord, I believe that you will be faithful in providing that for them. And so I say thank you today in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.